We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel. I'm the president and founder of the California Rock Art Foundation. And what we do is we identify, evaluate manage and conserve rock art both in Alta, California and in Baja, California. We conduct field trips, we have trainings, exercise, we do research, and in every way possible, we try to preserve, protect, and coordinate treasures of Alta and Baja, California rock art, of which there are many and diverse. We also work closely with Native Americans and uh, partner with them to recognize and protect sacred sites. So for more info about the fabulous California Rock Art Foundation, you can go to carockart.org. Also, I'm, I'm open to give me a call, 805-312-2261. We would uh, welcome sponsorship or underwriting, uh, helping us to defray the costs of our podcasts, and also membership in California Rock Art Foundation. And of course, donations, since we are a 501c3 nonprofit scientific and educational corporation. God bless everyone out there in podcast land. You're listening to the Rock Art Podcast. Join us every week for fascinating tales of rock art, adventure, and archaeology. Find our contact info in the show notes and send us your suggestions. Well, welcome podcast listeners. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel-Gold. I'm introducing you to the Rock Art Podcast, episode number 61. Our guest scholar is the president of Legion of Mary, Bakersfield, California, and her name is Virginia Gonzalez, and she will talk about her own personal journey in terms of her direction, in terms of her theology, and we're also going to talk about the Virgin of Guadalupe and that famous image that harkens back to the year 1531, Juan Diego, and also gives us a fast forward to understanding the Mexican people and the understanding of how Religion and theology and symbolism has an amazing transformation quality. Well, hello out there in archaeology podcast land. And we are blessed and honored to have a wonderful guest. Her name is Virginia Gonzalez, and that's uh, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S. She's the president of the Legion of Mary in uh, Bakersfield, California, uh, the Curia regional director of that uh, group. And this is a group of Catholic uh, individuals, members of an organization that has been around for 100 years and has millions of members worldwide. And uh, I'm actually a member of it as well. And this particular journey will be one where we're talking about religion and also sacred narrative and imagery and the creation of, I would say, a, a replacement or complement of different religious 
elements and significance of those elements to the people who practice the faith of Catholicism worldwide. So we're going to talk about the Virgin of Guadalupe, which of course is probably one of the primary images that uh, the Mexican people and others all over the world find uh, very important and reifying and is a central element of their religious metaphor. So Virginia, are you with us? Yes, I am. Hi, brother. Thank you. (laughs) Hello, sister. One of the things we recognized just this this morning by uh, trying to get ready for this podcast is we have Virginia, right? Yes. So we we have that part of the exercise. And when I came to faith in Catholicism, I took the name of Guadalupe, and I really didn't understand its significance at the time. So we've got both parts of of the exercise going for us. Virginia, why don't you t- tell him a bit about your background and how you how you uh, perhaps came to faith and uh, the role that the Blessed Mother has had in your life? Well, I was a cradle Catholic, and my mother, Virginia, was her name also. She, uh, oh, wow. she visited Our Lady of Guadalupe and... I had a picture, but I lost it. She always held a special place in my heart. And then my great-grandfather, he had a a little shrine outside in one of his yards by the grape or the vineyard, you know. And where was this? This was in Bakersfield. Yeah, he built an adobe house. I grew up in an adobe house. and. And in one of the yards there across from the home that he built, he dedicated it to the Blessed Mother and, of course, to our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I would look on her image quite often. Back then, I used to have a crossed eye, and I would go to the shrine there and cry my little eyes out because the children would make fun of me. And that was basically how I got to know the Blessed Mother. And then uh, later on, during confirmation, my confirmation name is Concepcion. Mm -hmm. So, because I was born on December the 8th. So my great-grandfather wanted my mama to call me Concepcion, but she chose not to. And my, my tata, Andres Saavedra, said, what? Of course, in Spanish. So uh-huh. so I was named Virginia. My middle name, Anne, came from the nurse. And Gonzalez, of course, came from both my parents. And that was it. Until I ended up going to my, I guess it's uh, confirmation classes. And in the second year, they ask you to, to choose a name. Uh, after a saint, and I chose Concepcion, uh, which is conception in English. So you grew up in Bakersfield, correct? Oh, yeah. Born and raised. And uh, you, you've had a, a bit of a journey, you know, in, into the religious realm, haven't you? It's oh, been yeah. a, sort of a, a, major, a major transformation. Oh, yes. Give us a few little sound bites or little little clips of that, could you? Sure. After my parents died, we were orphaned. I was 15 and my brothers were younger. I kind of fell away 
because in foster homes they had different religions or whatever and they didn't take us to mass and so uh, the only reason I did my confirmation at the age of 16 was because my best friend's mother brought me back to the church and then after I made my Mm -hmm. confirmation I fell away and I became a great great sinner I mean I did everything it seems in what way and I stayed away from the church. And in what way? In what way were you a sinner? Oh, I used to be an alcoholic. I, I, I wasn't going to mass. I wasn't worshiping the Lord, though. I did have a lot of personal uh, talks with Him. Mm-hmm. But basically, I stayed away from the church because, you know, when when you are involved in alcoholism, you kind of tend to go the wrong route. And that's what I did. Yes. I ventured into everything. When you say everything, what's spe- what's what what's what specifically did you traffic in? You don't have to get to, get too detailed, but what, what kinds of <laughs> oh, what, oh. what kind, kinds yeah, of yeah. things were you into? Oh, I was uh, I was lying. I was I don't know about so much stealing, but I had very low self esteem. I was. I was crying over the, or mourning over the loss of my mother because that threw us into the foster home system. Oh wow! Because my yes, my yes. father had died when I was eight. So you, you so you had a very rough beginning, very rough. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was working in San Jose. I moved away from Bakersfield and moved to San Jose. And when I was working there at the hospital, I took out a a, a prayer. I started praying to the Blessed Mother, and prayer for me is just talking to my mama, you know, and okay. um, because she she is the mother of our Lord Jesus, and in the Legion of Mary it says to Christ through Mary, you know, because that's mm-hmm. her son. She brings us all to her son. So we see Mary as sort of an intermediary or a liaison, a liaison right? And, and she loves her son so dearly. You know, there is no jealousy between mother and son that the Lord allows her to intercede for her children because she did become our mother. And uh, so I was just reflecting on how I used to spend a lot of my time. I, I ended up getting into drugs and besides my alcoholism, and mm-hmm. I went to jail and I served, oh, I don't know, maybe 53 days. And uh-huh. uh, that was the longest term, even though I was in and out of jail. It was, uh, wow. I, it was a long time for me, even though I never made it to prison, thank God. But, but, but you did go to jail and you did have, you know, altercations. And this was, this was a, a rough and tumble, very, uh, uh, you know, an unorthodox you know, not unorthodox, but it's just sort of a, a way of living that, uh, what transformed you? How did, how were you, how did you come to faith and how did you connect the, with the, the Virgin of Guadalupe? While I was staying there at Elmwood, uh, women's facility, these two ladies over the loudspeaker, they say, if anyone wants to pray the rosary, sign up and you go to trailer so-and-so. So I signed up and then I walked over to the trailer and to my surprise, there were two Filipina women. Uh, 
and they had a little statue of of Mary and and two electric candles, you know, some flowers, mm-hmm. and they gave me my first rosary and a little pamphlet on how to pray the rosary, and mm-hmm. I was the only one who showed up. And they were, they said, they said, they said, they said they were from the Legion of Mary. I go, oh, Oh my word, come on. And so, you know, I, I prayed, I prayed with them and, and then I went off and, and I started praying my rosary from that day on. And then years later, I, I came across, you know, because the Lord had changed my life. So I, I came across a person that gave me a telephone number for the Legion of Mary. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, her name was Dada. And uh, she was okay. Filipina. And, and so I called the number. And it, another Filipina lady, she answered the phone and says, oh, we're having a meeting tonight. Where do you live? I'll pick you up. So, so I, I went to the meeting and I stayed there 12 weeks and I finally said my promise. As soon as I said my promise, they, they voted me in as a, or elected me as a, as president. And (laughs) so, so I stayed with the Legion and that was in the year. Yeah. That was the year 2000 when I made my promise my promise. Wow. Virginia, we're, we're very parallel in terms of a lot of the interesting things. And I know that people are listening for a rock art podcast and they're going, how does this relate to rock art? Well, it does in a big way because what we do as anthropologists and archeologists is study native religion and the native religion that became the native religion was in fact Catholicism in, uh, in about the 1500s. And there was a the largest conversion uh, ever in the history of the world was the Native Americans who lived in Mexico, who became Catholics. It was about five to seven million people, and that created the Mexican people. And so that's that's rather spectacular and amazing. Now, for me personally, when we're talking about some of this, the reason I chuckled so much is, of course, I was raised Jewish, <laughs> right? And and being Jewish is about as far afield from yeah. Christianity as you could possibly get. Possibly get now, through an interesting series of sort of, you know, elective options, I became Christian, but not Catholic. But then ultimately, I what I, I say I came home to Rome, right? So, to the uh, original religion of of Jesus and the one that's stuck around for two thousand years, but. When I, when I came to Bakersfield, now Bakersfield is, is my home as well. And for those that don't know much about Bakersfield, over half of the population is Mexican. And we're talking about a, a, a population that runs about 400 or 500,000 or more people just in this one city alone. So we have a tremendous Mexican-American population. There are nine churches nine Mexican Catholic churches within a stone's throw. I mean, within five, 10, maybe 20 minutes of my home here in Bakersfield. Anyways, I thought all that is sort of valuable information to contextualize some of the stuff we're talking about. So please continue, Virginia. Where do we go from there? After I met the ladies, 
I I didn't see them again. Yeah, I came. I became an active member, and then there was a deacon that uh, came to visit us in one of our meetings, and I was going on my seventh year as a Legion of Mary member, and he said, "Oh, mm-hmm. well, you're you've you've been a felon. You know, your record will be cleared in seven years. You know." Uh, we need deten- we need detention ministers to go into the uh-huh. jails. So you know, I followed his lead, and and then I I started uh, going back to Elmwood, and, but mm. as a detention minister. And then, oh my word! Yeah, and then I was a point, and I remember that day well because as soon as the doors closed behind me, they clanked you know, the middle. And, and yeah. I had my, I, I started getting goosebumps on the, on my back and yeah. I started yeah. to get tense. And then I breathed yeah. a sigh of relief because I said to myself, Oh yeah, I can walk out. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it was those, good. Those doors you are know, not locked and, freedom. locked and solid. Yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly. So there, Another reason we're another reason we're talking about the Virgin of Guadalupe uh, right now is because coming up is her feast day, and also that uh, particular date is one that's significant in terms of the cosmology or the sort of the worldview of indigenous people as being uh, exactly the date when the winter solstice uh, occurs as well. So, just by way of cosmic uh, interchange and a reason for connecting on this basis. I think we'll, we'll stop it there, Virginia, and pick it up in the se- next segment. See you, in the, see you in the flip-flop, gang. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on, and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30 off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code rockart don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by march 31st to get a hundred dollars back instantly because no matter what moves you made last year TurboTax makes them count that means getting 100 back and 100 accurate taxes only from intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Well, welcome back to the uh, Rock Art Podcast on the Archaeology Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Garfinkel. I'm founder of the California Rock Art Foundation and its president, and yet we have another president here with us, 
Virginia Gonzalez, and she is the president of the regional offices of Legion of Mary in Bakersfield, California. And she is our guest scholar of, of sorts, and we're blessed to have her on board. Virginia, are you there? Yes, I am. Good to have you back on board. How'd you like that first segment? <laughs> well, I, I it's the first time. I, I hope I did well. Just telling my story. I think you did great. How, how many podcasts have you been on? This one. <laughs> yes. Well, welcome to the world of podcasting. It's it's amazing. Thank so, you, brother, for being my my friend. Yes, and, and thank you for thank you for honoring me with your with your repartee and your your uh, reflections on your life. I really appreciate this. I think in this segment, what I think we're going to try to do is uh, tell the story of the Virgin of Guadalupe and Juan Diego, and maybe try to talk about why that image plays so profoundly in the culture of the world of, the, of Catholicism, and especially in the native world in uh, Mexico and in uh, the world of, of Mexican-Americans as well. So, Virginia, it's yours. Okay. Well, I believe it's because not only of her brownish complexion, many say she looks more Jewish than anything, and that this, the clothing that she wears has to goes back to thousand years ago. So, of course, she added some symbolism. And what was interesting about her that captured my attention is that her hands were in prayer, you know, and that she's looking down with her head tilted in a humble way. It's a bit of humility, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And not only that, but I, I believe she shows us love. So how did that image come about? And what, and what do we know about Juan Diego back in 1531 in terms of who this individual was and what they uh, experienced? Well, she came, she came about Juan Diego as he was strolling through Tepayek Hill. And now, now, Juan, now, Juan, now Juan Diego was a convert who, whose, whose language was Nahuatl. And he was one of the earlier converts to Catholicism. And he lived, I think, maybe five, ten miles away from church, didn't he? He lived nine miles away, yeah. Okay, perfect. And so anyway, on her first apparition, you know, he hears music and it's beautiful. And then it stops and he sees a bright light and, and brilliant clouds and and the light seems to get become brighter and brighter and then she appears and she in the waddle uh, he asks Juan Diego Juanito my little son whom I love tenderly like a little child where are you going and he replied that he was going to go learn more about his teachings at the church, you know, he was on his way to mass and to study. And then she said, know for certain littlest of my sons that I am the perfect and perpetual Virgin Mary, mother of the true God, through whom everything lives, the Lord of all things near and far, the master of heaven and earth, 
I wish and intensely desire that in this place my sanctuary be erected. Here I will demonstrate, I will exhibit, I will give you all my love, my compassion, my help, and my protection to the people. And I believe it goes on, but I believe that, you know, that's where she's saying that she is the protector of the Americas, not just the Mexican people or the, or the, the Indians of Mexico, but of all of America. All the Americas, North, South, and Central. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Now, when she's talking to Juan Diego, she's, she's being perceived as some sort of a, a, you know, a a remarkable supernatural manifestation. She's uh, brighter than bright. And they're there at this, at this uh, Tepeyac, which is a hill and one that was actually the site, site of a lunar goddess and a pyramid of the moon there. So it had mm-hmm. an, an ancient association as well. So I guess Juan Diego has his walking papers and his responsibilities. What happens next? Well, he goes to visit the Bishop Sumaraga and all he has is problems. You know, they make him wait and wait till all the people ahead of him are seen but he goes in successfully and asks the, the bishop to erect a church for uh, the Blessed Mother to so that people can worship her son. And that doesn't work very well. So he gets sent off. And so he's kind of disappointed, you know. Um, yeah, Bishop Zubaraga was, was, wasn't in a very good posture because I understand that uh, – he didn't have very many converts, and he was very, very concerned that his days were numbered there and that they were having nothing but tremendous, tremendous ill will and adversity at every level in terms of his yes. his role there as sort of a counselor and, and leader of, of the uh, domestic church, the new, the new church, the Catholic church in the Americas. Uh-huh. So, yeah. so I guess Juan Diego goes back, right, and then uh, tries again. I guess has another journey, right? Oh, definitely. And then, even though the the bishop had said yes, and uh, I'm listening to you, you know, but like, things didn't go well. So by the third apparition, Mother Mary says, "So be it, my son. Come back tomorrow morning, and I will give you the sign." which will assure him and he will no longer doubt you. So what she's saying, I think, is that she can provide him with the physicality, the sort of something that will demonstrate to the bishop that this is a true miracle of God. So what happens next, uh, Virginia? I guess Juan Diego meets with the uh, Bishop Zumaraga and attempts to do so, I think, again. But in turn, he, he goes back again and, and tries to avoid the connection with the Virgin of Guadalupe, yes? Yes, because his uncle was ill. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to go get a priest or someone to, to come. Give him his give last him. rites. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so he was very, very ill. So then during, so then during his absence, when he uh, tries to avoid connecting with the lady... She shows up anyways. And well, actually, he's on the 
on the other side of the hill. He's on the other side. And that's right. when the Blessed Mother appears to him there and basically tells tells him to go on his journey and to go see the bishop again and to not worry about her, his uncle because he's basically cured and to believe in 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 that and and go on his journey to uh, to see the bishop, which he does, and of course the bishop asks for proof, and so does it. Does he get to see the bishop again? We're about to approach the fourth apparition. Okay, and and so then uh, the blessed mother has him gather Castilian roses up on the hill. And he got he, only the Castilian roses. Right. Now, we're, we're, we're here in December, in the winter. Yes. And I believe that the, there were no uh, Castilian roses available in Mexico at that time. They were all in Spain. Yes. So, so these that's are, one so these of are the exo- miracles. Yes. <laughs> and the, next, the next thing is, is they're exotic roses that don't grow in Mexico anyways they couldn't be growing and they certainly couldn't be flowering in the winter there in this uh, almost uh, right. you know, rather desert area but it cold very cold and, and difficult but yet he gathers them up puts them in his tilma and a tilma is sort of a yucca coat that the native people would wear yeah, yes almost like a sarape but it's made out of cactus fibers and he plans on bringing those back to Bishop Zumaraga and demonstrating the um, validity of his his testimony. So then what happens? So anyway, he presents him he presents him to the blessed mother and she arranges rearranges the roses in the tilma and then she she ties the ends of the cloak in a knot and has uh, Juan Diego carry him to to the bishop and that's on the fourth apparition. And then he goes and and he meets with the bishop. And as usual, you know, he's always the last one chosen to speak. So anyway, when when he finally meets the the bishop, his tilma is is opened up and the roses fall out. And what's left on on the impression on the 12th of December is the image of the Blessed Mother on his tilma. So this, this, this image of the Blessed Mother on his tilma, what, is it, what does it look like? What colors is it? What is it composed of? And what is the response of the people in the room to seeing such a remarkable and miraculous phenomenon? Well, I'm sure the bishop knelt amazed at the... Because, I mean, I'm sure the the painting that is heavenly because it wasn't produced by any human hands appeared and with the symbolism and the the roses themselves that fell from from the tilma you could see the surprise and the and the way the onlookers were looking because with science nowadays when they I don't know how they what machinery they used, you know, but they pinpointed and looked into her eyes, and you could see the the shadows and reflections of the uh, and the features of the people in the courtyard when the Blessed Mother's picture appeared on on the tilma. It was like 
a photographic image in her eyes. Definitely. So it's rather remarkable in terms of the whole imagery that goes on there, that we have this uh, yucca coat known as a tilma, and it has uh, this right. remarkable picture of the um, Virgin of Guadalupe, as, as she is called. And in a stance of humility, as you put it, you know, bent down with her hands together. But I guess behind her, they talk about the sun and, and the rays of the sun appearing. And then uh, perhaps she is standing above a, a crescent moon. And in general, this is a, an image that, that appears not as a Euro-American individual, but more akin to some sort of a native person in her coloring, I believe. That, that's something that is, is emphasized. So I think in terms of the perspective or imagery, it's, it's appealing to native people and it seems to make some sense. And also it touches upon a number of symbols that are quite common and understandable to the indigenous people who are speaking the language of Nahuatl, as I understand it. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of symbolism that they understood from just seeing the, the image itself. Yeah, she's she's pregnant. She's belted with a black belt with going down. It shows she's pregnant. And over her womb is the famous sort of five in, five in one cross that has to do with a creator being a supernatural god existing within her womb. And uh, in turn, the posture and the way in which it's being communicated is such that this is a a loving God, and not a God per se, but someone who is an emissary or, or some sort of representative to, to the uh, God of the universe, which actually is going to be uh, birthed from her womb. And I think they understood all of that just from looking at the picture. At least that's the way I understand it from my reading and messages and understanding of sort of the indigenous thinking about this particular image. Well, in the next section, we'll follow up and talk about the meaning of the symbolism, some of the scientific studies that have been done on that image, and what uh, and why that this particular image is important in our understanding of what we call uh, syncretism. See you in the flip-flop, gang. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Well, welcome back, podcast uh, listeners. This is uh, Dr. Alan Garfinkel, and this is the third and final segment of the uh, three segments on episode 61 with our guest scholar and, and close friend of mine, Virginia Gonzalez, who is the president of Legion of Mary in Bakersfield. And we're talking about the Virgin of Guadalupe. We're talking about the 
the sacred narrative. We're talking about the story. We're talking about the history of this image and how it interplays and interfingers with the development of the Catholic religion, but also the development of the integration between Native American religion and Catholicism into a new and different phenomenon. So, Virginia, what I'd like to do in this particular segment is, is talk a bit about some of the symbolism and also some of the scientific analysis that's been done on the image and sort of also sort of do a little journey on sort of the history surrounding some of our understanding of uh, what that image might mean. But I'd like you to open this up and talk about what you, what you feel and know and connect with from uh, those people who revere this image. And why would that be so? I believe because the Blessed Mother appeared in Mexico and the Blessed Mother brought thousands and thousands of, of converts to to her son. And at the, about the same time that we had lost some Catholics to the Protestant religion, so she in turn brought even more Catholics. And so anyway, I, I think, I think the conversion was something like between five and 9 million native people came to the uh, Christian slash Catholic faith just in Mexico. And that's the largest conversion in the history of the world in terms of sort of a massive group of people converting to a new theology. Now, also of, of great interest, you're right, it was, it was coordinate with, consistent, and at the same time as Martin Luther, you know, his, his Protestantism and that whole development of that, where there was the falling away right. in the old world. So we had the new world and the old world going on simultaneously. Yeah. Now, being a, a novice to this religion, and my side, I oh. knew really nothing about <laughs> the Virgin of Guadalupe. And all I knew is there was this funny picture that appear, appeared in the back of all these, you know, Mexican trucks and other pictures like that. And I'm going, what, what exactly is that? And, and what does that mean? And why, why do I see this picture so commonly throughout the Mexican culture? So why is that, Virginia? Well, because first of all, it, it means that we as uh, Mexicans are not just the least of her people, you know, her children. We are her children. And every time that the Blessed Mother appears throughout the world, she is given a new title. And and that reaffirms our belief in Christ and the motherly protection and love that she has for each and every one of her children. After all, the image on the Tilma, she was only four foot eight inches tall. And she appeared to be about 15 years old or so. Yeah. And the tilma was made of fibers of the maguey plant. Yes. Maguey, yes. Maguey? Oh. Yeah, the maguey or or sort of a yucca. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's, it's maguey slash yucca. And, And in every other instance, when they've replicated this picture on that kind of coarse weave canvas it it decomposes within five years it falls apart yeah it said basically it deteriorates in uh within 20 years or so 
Yeah, but now it's been over 450 years. Right, and from in 1531 to to today's date, and the in some ways the the actual the image is is as bright and as vital and as uh, astounding as it was the first day it was created. Oh yeah, and tests have been done, and it's not a paint. <laughs> it wasn't done not by a painting, man. No, it's it's some sort of supernatural coloring. It's it's an absolute uh, yes scientific miracle. The other thing that's a scientific miracle about it, which is something that I've I've gotten very interested in as well, is her eyes. Yes, you know about the eyes of, of the Virgin. So, I guess around the turn of the century, an optometrist looked at the the image very closely and saw a, a very tiny image, a, a, a not microscopic but nearly so, a very modest image of an individual in one of her eyes. And Jose Asti Tonsman, who was a, a scientist who studied such, such images and helped to create them astronomically when we're dealing with some of those capturing images from, from some of the astronomical elements of some of our missiles and other endeavors of connecting with with uh, some of the some of the planets like Mars and and also other ones, he knew how to examine this image systematically, enlarge it and examine it, and then identify what he felt were accurate images that were conveyed at the time of the image's manufacture. There's a thing called the Purkinje-Sansom effect, where your eyes look like mirrors. And so they act like mirrors. And if you can look at them very closely, you can actually see what the individual is seeing. Well, that's what's occurring on this image. And you can see Juan Diego. You can see Bishop Zumaraga. You can see a family. You can see a, uh, another individual who is uh, some sort of a translator slash slave who is African-American. And all of this is depicted in both eyes in a minuscule way. Right. And this is absolutely impossible. There's no other picture of any sort that ever had anything like this really in the history of the world or in uh, anything that would would have been captured or done in any fashion except miraculously as i understand it is that is that kind of what you understand virginia yes i did a study on it all oh, years ago i think it was like 2003 or so i had to mm-hmm. do uh my senior thesis type for, but in, in a, as an artist, you do a, a series of paintings and stuff. But I, I did one on Mother Teresa. But before I did mm-hmm. those, I, I took advantage of this art contest that they were going to have. And so I found out about it about the day before it was due. So I did an mm-hmm. image of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the design on her dress was, like you said, it was the constellation at that precise moment and time back in 1531, December the 12th. And that was amazing. You know, I learned little things, tidbits here and there as I was painting. And and when I entered the, the painting, I ended up winning first prize. And uh, Really? So, <laughs> Phenomenal. Yes. The painting has been lost, but I still have my blue ribbon and uh, 
I still and I still have the memory of how I spent my two hundred dollar check. <laughs> there you go. But, See? Yeah. See? Phenomenal. That's a fantastic story. So Virginia, we've uh, spent about an hour together reflecting on both the uh, story of Juan Diego and also trying to analyze and reflect on what it meant to for him to have met the Virgin of Guadalupe as it's come to be known and the effects of that image on the native people and uh, the transformation of their theology. What would you say in, in reflection or to contextualize the nature of this discussion? All I have to say is that you should never be afraid. You should love the Blessed Mother as your own mother, no matter what title she has, whether it be Our Lady of Fatima or Our Lady of Guadalupe. I know the the Mexican people yell out, Viva la Virgen de Guadalupe! (laughs) (laughs) And that means that she just lives on in our hearts, you know? So may God bless you all. That's fantastic. And thank you, brother, for being patient with me. No, and thank thank you for putting up with all the challenges of our technology and weaving an amazing story of the journey, your personal journey, but also the journey of, of both the tilma and the image and how that could, in fact, relate to our study of of images and symbolism and the religious theology and how that intertwines. I think we have a model here to better understand what we try to accomplish when we look at both prehistoric and historic rock art images and how that can be conveyed in a living sense. Well, see you next week, gang. Thanks for listening to the Rock Art Podcast with Dr. Alan Garfinkel and Chris Webster. Find show notes and contact information at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash rock art. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.